All right, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, you can give Jesus a hand clap if you want to. That's okay. We welcome that here. (laughs) Well, hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. We've been in this series, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. I'm excited about continuing that today. I want to mention a few things if I can. And I want to encourage you, if you've recently made a decision to follow Jesus or maybe you've recommitted your life, uh, any any kind of spiritual decision that you've made, we would love to know about it. We want to be able to just support you. We want to know what God is doing in your life. So that Connect card in the seat back in front of you is very helpful. Uh, Not only can you fill it out in that regard, but if you have prayer needs, if you'll write those down, you can leave it anonymous or you can put a name to it. That's your choice. If you turn that in, every request gets specifically prayed over by our prayer team. So I just want to encourage you to engage in that way. If you want to do it the digital way, you can text my decision to 24587. That's a number you might want to save in your phone for all of our kind of text things that we're doing. Um, 24587 is the number that we're using. One last thing, we have notes today. So if you pull up the Liberty app, if you go to the Milton tab and click on Sunday Notes, I have notes in there for you. Some of you have been asking about that, and your dream came true this morning. So they're there. Um, is it okay if I go on a little rabbit trail before we get into the message this morning? Is that okay? Our rabbit, is, is this a rabbit trail friendly group? Okay. So I've had a lot of people just kind of talking and asking and considering whether or not we're in the end times. Anybody in here kind of kicking that around a little bit? Yep, yep. So I just want to just real quickly speak to it. You know, we've not been preaching about it. We've not been talking about it a lot. But we are aware um, of some things that are going on in society. So here's what I thought I would do. I just want to read a couple scriptures. I want to encourage you, and and I want you to be lifted up in regard to whether or not we are actually in the end time. So I'm just going to go straight to scripture, Matthew 24, verse 40, where it says, Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So this is speaking to the moment when Jesus comes. The thing that I would want for you to notice in this verse is that they're still going about their daily life. They're still doing what they've been called to do. They're they're moving forward as if maybe it's going to happen today, maybe it's not. That'd be an important mental note to make. He goes on to say, so you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. So if you hear somebody saying, we know when it's happening, au contraire. Verse 43, understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time. Somebody say all the time. All the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So not only is he going to just come when we're, when we're doing whatever it is that we're doing, it's going to be when we least expect it. So if we're all coming to the conclusion that it's like right here, it's going to happen any moment, not so much because it's when we least expect it. So I just want to encourage you with a couple things. I want to make a, two statements. Number one, live your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, live your life. Turn to the next neighbor and say, but be ready. Live ready. The point I'm trying to make is, you know, I have to preface it by saying this. Every generation since Jesus has thought and been certain that they were the last ones, that Jesus was going to come. Because there's always been bad stuff. There will always be bad stuff until the Lord returns. So it's not uncommon for us to feel that we are at that place in time, okay? 
the thing that's important is, and, and it is worth studying, it's worth digging into. If you have a desire to get in there and read about Revelation and Daniel and Ezekiel, where all these end-time prophecies are, it's a great study. But what I want you to understand is that it doesn't change what you're called to do. It doesn't change what you do every day. It doesn't change the fact that we have something that God has called us as individuals to do. Can I get an amen? So I'll leave you with that. Rabbit trail complete. So I want to pray for you real quick, and then we're going to get into this series. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness. I pray that you would help us. As we are trying to grow closer to you, we want to learn from you. We want to be challenged by you. We are not here just to do church. We are here to be challenged, transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So real quick, I just want to go quickly through our theme verses. We've talked about this concept of what am I going to do, what am I supposed to do when I'm not sure what I should do? So in 2 Chronicles 20, one of our theme verses, we, we see where it says, we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. You can replace that with a really challenging situation, a crisis, a pandemic, a, a recession, whatever you want to do. There's times where we don't know what to do and we don't see a way forward. But the important thing is for us to recognize and actually admit we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on Jesus. And that's what we said first and foremost is fixing our eyes on the King of Kings. Then in Hebrews 10, it says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So these, these scriptures have been kind of the theme for our conversation each week. And I just want to reinforce the things that, we, the layers that we've added to this series. Number one, let us. I love that phrase. Somebody say it with me. Let us. Let us. Let us. Not the meaning, don't do this on your own. You're not meant to do life on your own. We're in this together. And if we, if we stay together, we're much better off. But together, we need to, number one, fix our eyes on Jesus. The second thing we need to do is we, not only do we need to be a part of community, we actually have to fight for community. Because we live in a day and age where we're being told to, be, to distance and isolate and to be separate from each other. And, we, we, and while we have to take certain precautions based on where we're at, we still have to make sure that our community is not suffering and that we're fighting for community. And then the last thing would be this, is what we said last Sunday is, is how to actually draw near to God. If you, if you want to know more about that, you can go back and listen to last, last week's message. But we talked about just this concept of when you draw near to him, when you take those steps towards him, he then in turn responds to you. We have to take that first step. And when we take that first step, and when we do it with our whole heart, he responds as a faithful and loving father. Amen? So that's where we are. So I want to focus just for a few minutes today on Hebrews 10, 23, where it tells us to hold unswervingly. Hold unswervingly. I want to talk this morning about holding on. Holding on. You know, I think as, as people, we love to hold on to things. How many of you remember your first roller coaster ride ever? Okay, so mine was the Cyclone at Six Flags Over Georgia really old, rickety, wooden ride. Makes a lot of noise. And my young little self 
somehow made it on the ride, but the seatbelt didn't really do what it was supposed to do. And the bar was way out front. So how many of you know I held on to that bar like my life depended on it because my rear end was out of the seat for half the ride. I was terrified. I was white knuckle gripping that thing. I was holding on. We tend to do that. How about that old high school breakup? Let's talk about that one for a second. That one that you just couldn't let go of. Right? They, they, said, they said, hey, it's not you, it's me. It was you. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, it was you. <laughs> but you, you tend to hold on to it. You don't want to let go because you're in love. You don't know anything about love, but you're in love in high school. So you, you, you hold on to things. Or, or, or here's another example. How many of you in here, you don't have to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. You're that person who just tends to hold on to things and you store things away. You know, you buy a TV and you're like, man, I really don't want to throw this box away because one day, one day, I'm going to need to put that TV back in this box. And that's how it starts. It starts with a few TV boxes. Next thing you know, you got an issue and you got TLC calling you to be on their show. Hoarding. We hold on to things. That's what we do. All right? Or no, here's this one. This one I really have a hard time with. The person who puts way too many things on your computer desktop screen. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? Digital hoarding. What you need to know is it actually affects your, perform your computer performance in a negative way. And this one's the worst, okay? Wait for it. This is the one that I really hate to see. If you're this person, don't ever let me see your iPhone screen. It ruins my day. It ruins my day. I'll never understand. My wife actually has a Gmail account that looks very similar to this. We're getting counseling about that. No, I'm just kidding. All right, now this next, I'm going to need you to be honest. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't, have to go, you don't have to go out on a limb here and let everybody see that you did this, but I know most of you did this, okay? Sometimes we, when things go bad and we begin to panic a little bit, there's some things we try to start to hold on to because we need some security in our life. <laughs> so somehow we came to the conclusion that in order to be prepared for a virus, I need a lot of toilet paper. I'm not even going to talk about the fact that paper towels were plentiful the whole time. You could have just cut them up. But no, everybody needed rolls and rolls of toilet paper. Matter of fact, there was a gentleman who bought 13 grand worth of toilet paper, stored it in his garage, and the store won't take it back now. So isn't it kind of funny sometimes the things we hold on to? When left to ourselves and left to our own thinking and our own strategy of life, we start to hold on to things. And this is a great representation of what happens when we hold unswervingly to the wrong things. So what are we holding on to? That's my question. We tend to hold on to things. We tend to hoard things. Some things are good, many things are bad. And I just want to discuss this morning the need to hold on to the best, the right thing. So I want to read a story in Scripture. This is a story that you probably know very well. 
you've learned it as a kid. If you were, maybe you had back in the day the flannel graph story version of this story. Matthew 14, verse 24. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves, a.k.a. challenging situations, troubled times, pandemic, recession, tension. About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, Walking on the water. This is hilarious to me, by the way. I just have to say, like, Jesus is awesome. They're out in the middle of this ocean, terrified, thinking they're about to drown, and Jesus is like, check this out. I'm just going to walk on the water out to the boat. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. So, the bold, go get them, tiger, disciple Peter, who we, many of us can relate to, he called to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. You really have to appreciate this boldness, this courage that Peter had. Okay, imagine being in the, in the Gulf Coast right now. It's stormy, it's windy, it's dangerous. The last thing you want to do is get out of the boat. But he gets out of the boat, he's, he's walking on water. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, when he took his eyes off Jesus, he was terrified. And he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. This is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't delay. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? So there's some really powerful concepts in this story. I, I just want to throw a couple reminders out there today. I want to I encourage you a little bit that there's some things that we need to do if we're going to hold on to the right thing. All right, so the first thing I want to say in response to this story is that the reality, the, the, the blessing, the benefit that God is always present in the storm. He's always there. When you're in that boat and you're in the middle of, the, of nowhere and you think you're going down and you think you're about to sink and, and drown, He's there. Now, he doesn't, He's not necessarily in the boat with you. He's not necessarily just pulling you out of the situation. Right, The Psalms tell us that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not if, but when. When we walk through that valley, he just takes us out of it. Is that what it says? Like He just takes us out. No, he's with us. So when we walk through it, when we go through it, he is there. He's always present. Maybe you're in a valley this morning. Maybe you're in a valley, the, the valley of the valley. We can all relate to the pandemic. We can all relate to how things are going, but you've got something on top of it that's just driving you further down this valley. And maybe you're not convinced that he's present. Maybe you're thinking, I don't, I don't know about that. It doesn't really feel like it. The next thing that we need to learn and understand, he is present. And I think what we've, what we've learned, what we've been forced to learn in this situation is 
You are never in control. Never. You are never in control. Man, it feels good to feel like you're in control, doesn't it? Walking into 2020, we, oh, we got this. This is going to be a credible year. We like the number. We like 2020. Like, we're coming up with all these names to go along with it. It's the year of perfect vision. I think we started with a series called Clarity. That's funny right there. <laughs> we're never in control. And we are learning now what it feels like when you come to that realization, like, man, I'm not in control here. I can't control what's going to happen. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. I, I don't know what's going to be like in the next few months. Holding on to the boat is what we're doing. When we try to control the situation, when we, when we don't focus on Jesus and we start to hold on to some things that are outside of what God has called us to, we find ourselves like the other disciples just standing in the boat holding on for dear life. Thinking that somehow by holding on to that boat, maybe we can save ourselves. So I think you know the answer here. The answer is we got to hold on to the right thing. we got to hold on to the hope that we have professed. Remember that moment where you, where for those of us that have made this decision, where we came to Jesus and we said, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you everything. Change me. Change my life. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need to be saved. In that moment, we were holding on unswervingly to the hope that we were professing. But somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, our eyes get off of Jesus. We begin to maybe hold on to some of our own things. We hold on to the security blankets that we have. Maybe it's the retirement account, or maybe it's just the vocation that we have, the job that we have, or the stuff that we've been blessed with. We're holding on to the boat. Or in an absolute worst-case scenario, we think we need more of this right here. But I think what we find in this story is if we think about what Peter actually had to do, like his, his goal is he wanted to get close to God. He wanted to go to Jesus. He loved Jesus. He, he wanted to go hold on to Jesus. He knew he was in trouble. He knew that that boat wasn't going to cut it, and he knew that he needed Jesus. So he said, Lord, let me come out to you. I want to be where you are. And so with this concept of holding on to God, what we actually learn is that in order to really hold on to God, it's one of those spiritual principles, right? Like in order to hold on to God, what you actually have to do is you actually have to let go. In order to hold on to God, you have to let go. You have to get out of the boat and you have to walk on water. You have to take a risk. You have to, you have to say at some point, you know what? I'm no longer going to hold on to this boat. I'm going to get out. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to seek after Jesus and I'm going to fix my eyes on the King of kings and the Lord of lords because last time I checked, he didn't pause my life's purpose. He didn't pause my destiny. He didn't pause what he's calling me to do just because we have some difficult circumstances. It's hard to get out of the boat. It's hard to get back to normal. It's hard to push forward when we don't see a way forward. It's hard to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus when there's wind and there's waves and there's fear. You look to your left or your right and it's not good. But you got to keep your eyes on Jesus because the moment you do, the moment you move away, you begin to sink. And it'll happen. We'll fail. We'll take our eyes off Jesus momentarily. It'll happen. But what you would need to understand 
And what you need to be encouraged by is although Peter was sinking, he wasn't sunk. It wasn't over. Jesus immediately picked him up. He's present in the storm. He's with us. We're not in control no matter how hard we hold on to the boat. And if we're going to hold on to this hope that we profess, it actually means you have to let go. The truth is the water is safer than the boat. That's just not the way you tend to think as as a person. It's not the way I I tend to think. I've got to get out of the boat. You know, this isn't the only time in humanity where things have gotten really bad. There's been a lot of bad things that have happened over, over decades and over centuries and that you could say are just as bad, if not in some cases worse. I want you to think back to a time where there was this thing going on called world wars. You want to talk about end time feeling when all the countries of the world are coming together in war and it's a, it's a very bad situation. And on top of that, we had an enemy that refused to surrender. They were outnumbered, they were outmanned, but they were not going to quit. So we are frantically looking for a solution. How are we going to defeat this enemy that's, that's taking lives? And this thing is created called the atomic bomb. Scary. Scary stuff. So we got world wars going on. There's this atomic bomb being created that's incredibly powerful. And there was a man by the name of C.S. Lewis who was watching all of this go down. He was going through this difficult time. He decided to write this, basically an essay on what do we need to do as people who trust in God? So he, this is an excerpt from his essay. And it says, in one way we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, and an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made. And the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying. Working. 
teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. So what do you do? How do you hold on? You let go. You move closer to Jesus. You get out of the boat. You let go. You you stop trying to hold on for yourself and you recognize getting in that water and heading towards Jesus is the safest I'll ever be. He's with me. I'm not in control. And he's calling for me to get out of the boat and to come to him. So let's bow our heads just for a moment and I want to give you a, a moment, a brief moment to ask that question. What are you holding on to? What are you really counting on? If you're in here this morning and you recognize that Jesus isn't your Lord, Jesus is not your Savior, you've yet to actually give Jesus your life. You've yet to actually surrender to him and ask him to to be a part of your life, to ask for him to save you. That's the first step and the most critical step, a step that is easy to do, but it costs you everything, a step that is an eternal situation. It wouldn't be right for me not to offer an opportunity for anyone in here who needs to just simply say yes to Jesus and enter into a relationship with him. Or maybe you're in here and you're, you're a prodigal son or a daughter that's run away and you know that you need to come home. The good news is in Romans 10, 9, it's, it simply says, if you just declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He'll forgive you. He'll redeem you. You'll enter into being spiritually alive for the first time. He'll change your life. But everything we've talked about is nothing more than self-help if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus. So I'm going to pray a blessing over everyone in this room. I want you to pray your own prayer. I want you to pray the prayer this morning that, that speaks to your situation. What are you holding on to? What do you need to let go of? Are you looking towards Jesus or are you looking to the left or the right and finding yourself sinking? Or do you need to give Jesus your life? Or, or do you need to come home? It doesn't have to be an eloquent prayer. It doesn't have to be said perfectly. You just have to cry out to God. So Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning we recognize that you're with us. We recognize that we're not in control. And we recognize, Lord, that we must hold on unswervingly to the hope that we professed. Which means letting go of our own stuff, letting go of our own securities, getting out of the boat, walking towards you. It might be dangerous. It may not feel very secure. 
It may be scary, but that's the safest place to be. So help us this morning, Lord, to be encouraged. Help us to be bold. You've commanded us to be strong and courageous. So I speak that over everyone in this room, that we would leave here bold, courageous, willing, and ready to get out of that boat and to walk towards you. You've called us for a specific purpose. You've brought us here for such a time as this. When you created us, you knew that we would live in this moment in time with something to do. So encourage your people this morning. Raise them up. Blow wind in their sails. Help them to be and to do everything that you've called them to be and called them to do. We worship you this morning, Jesus. We, we know that we don't have to take credit for anything. We don't have to earn everything because you've done it for us. So we, because of that, we worship you. We celebrate you. We thank you for what you've done. We're going to hold on to that. We're going to hold on to the hope that we profess because it's the only sure thing. So we love you. We celebrate you. We worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's clap our hands this morning. God is good.